Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I got to be in Seattle, Washington this past week for a few days training new church planting teams. It's something that I've gotten to do for about the past decade. My wife and I have been in that church planting space as, as we've gotten to serve as church planners in a few contexts. And actually, the organization that we partner with is called Church Multiplication Network, and it's the church planting arm of the Assemblies of God where I hold that ordination. And since 2008, and we started up with them in 2010, uh, we've planted over 4,300 churches around the country. Isn't that amazing? And this past uh, week, we were training 30 new church planning teams in Seattle. They fly in from all over the country. We do about 12 trainings a year. I don't go to all of them, but, but I get to be a part of some of them. And it uh, struck me in the middle of this training this past week that these uh, individuals, these families, and these teams are sacrificing much. They are taking very daunting steps of faith right now in their life. Many of them are leaving very well-paid jobs to go into certain uncertainty, a lot of them are bringing little kids along for the ride, and they're like picking a fight with the enemy, stepping into spiritual warfare on purpose. And it struck me that I should be absolutely overwhelmed to think about training and equipping and being a small part of their story, except for the fact that I realize all I'm really doing is pointing them to Jesus. That is the whole process. And this power of pointing people to Jesus is what we're gonna talk about today because life itself can get quite complex and overwhelming and confusing with relationships, work, decisions, parenting, grandparenting, even how we interact with people. Right now, our world uh, and our culture, especially here in America, has become quite challenging, probably for, for a good amount of us, more so than ever in our lifetime. How do we relate to those that are on the opposite side of things. You know, you guys all know these. I'm just gonna read some of them. We have the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. We have, of course, the right and the left. We have uh, the immigrant. We have the nationalist. We have the self-righteous. We have the old, the young, the addicted, the hopeless. How do we, as followers of Jesus, live in this current reality and in this world? And this series that we're in, uh, going through the whole Gospel of John, I believe really informs that in some profound ways. The series is called Believe. We started it last week and looked at the first 14 verses of John chapter one. Today, we're gonna do part two, and it's called The Power of Pointing to Jesus. The theme verse for the whole series is John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's my prayer for you, that you will have life in his name like never before and keep leaning into that. And I'm just asking the question, what would happen if we truly believed the things that Jesus said, if we wholeheartedly followed him and if we invited others along for the journey? Before we read, I just wanna mention that at the beginning of each sermon, I'm just gonna read the entire text that we're looking at today. It's a number of verses, 15 to 34, because we're commanded in scripture to read scripture publicly. And so as I read this, I want you to believe and understand that is the most significant thing happening today. Doesn't matter if my sermon after it totally bombs. If we read the scripture publicly, we win, right? It's been a successful day. So we are just sitting under the tutelage of the spirit of God through his word. You guys tracking with me? 
but we need to pray in our hearts, and you can do it right now. God, open my ears to hear what you are saying to me by your spirit through your word. And God, open our eyes to see. So let's read John 1, 15 through 34. In verse 15, it says, John, and this is talking about John the Baptist here. So it's the Apostle John writing about John the Baptist, testified concerning him, Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. (coughs) The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. There's a lot in that passage. I feel like I could preach on that for a year, but I'm going to sum it up in about 15 minutes here. We're going to look at each part of the verse and then talk about it a little bit. Verse 15 through 17. Again, it's John the Baptist. It says, he testified, crying out, this is the one. So he's saying, it's not about me. I am pointing to Jesus. And he says, this one has surpassed me. He came before me. And then he begins to describe Jesus. I love this. Out of his, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And pay attention to this line. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What that is referring to is what we would call Old Testament and New Testament, which we see in the Bible, or Old Covenant and New Covenant. Old Covenant is the first 39 books of the Bible called the Old Testament. It's described and taught to us there. New Covenant is the 27 books that make up the New Testament. And the law comes through Moses in the Old Covenant starting with popularly known, the Ten Commandments. And the law is not bad. The law is good and beautiful and right. But mostly what the law does for us is let us know that we cannot live up to it. Even just the Ten Commandments. It starts by saying, worship the Lord your God alone. 
And all of us, at some point or another, have worshiped some other God. Maybe not bowing down to like a, a physical idol, but we've pursued something else that took first place in our heart. We have looked to something else for our trust or our security. It says, don't bear false witness in the Ten Commandments. And I'm just here to say, we have all born false witness at some point or another. Everybody with me? We can all just confess together. So we're a bunch of liars in the room together right now, worshiping God. It's just the truth. It says, do not commit adultery. And not all of you have committed actual adultery, but Jesus made the stakes higher in the New Testament when he further described that this is part of our heart. And he said, anyone who lusts after another person who's not their spouse has already committed adultery with them in their heart. So I can tell you that makes us all adulterers. So we're a group of liars, adulterers, idol worshipers, right? This is not to be discouraging, but it's to prove the point. The law is good and perfect, but we cannot live up to it. It's a relentless taskmaster if we think that's what we are doing. There are actually in the Old Testament over 600 laws that the priests would talk about. That is the old way, but it points to the fulfillment of the law in the person of Jesus Christ, the new way. And the scripture says, he is the one who brings us grace and truth. And we're gonna talk about this distinction throughout the whole message today, but I wanna read a long quote, it'll be on screen, from a book called The Pressure's Off. It's by a great author named Larry Crabb, and he's articulating the difference between the old way and the new way. Read along with me. Right now, at this very moment, you're walking one of two paths through life. Either you've decided that what you most want out of life is within your reach and you're doing whatever you believe it takes to get it, or you've realized that what you most want is beyond your reach and you're trusting God for the satisfaction you seek. You want him, nothing less, not even his blessings will do. If you're walking the first path, your life is filled with pressure. Inside, where no one sees, your soul is weary. You see no way to step off the treadmill. Or if your life is going well and you're satisfied, but you sense something's wrong, something's missing, the pressure is still there. If you're walking the second path, you have hope. Your soul may be weary, your interior world may be filled with struggles no one sees, but you have hope. At times you rest, something is alive in you. The desire of your heart is not smothered. You can taste freedom and the taste brings joy. The first path is the old way. It involves a quid pro quo arrangement with God, or if not God, then with the order in the universe, with the rules that make life work. If you do what you should, then you get what you want, either from a moral God who rewards good behavior or from an orderly world that you effectively use. It leaves you in control of how things turn out in your life. The old way promises a better life filled with good things that make you happy, but it never delivers. Though it may seem to for a long time, the old way doesn't work for one reason. You never keep your end of the bargain, not completely, no one does. The second path is the new way. In this arrangement, God first plants a desire in your heart a longing that actually values his presence over his blessings. Then he invites you to live out that desire, to abandon yourself to what you most want. It takes you out of control, but it sets you free. 
The new way promises a better hope than the good things of life. It promises nearness to God and it delivers, though not always in the way we think it will. Do you see the difference? Sometimes when we become followers of Jesus, it starts really well where we're relying completely on God, but eventually we just bring the old way into the new way vernacular. And we think, yes, I name Christ now, but at the end of the day, my life is still about doing everything right so God will bless me. You're back under the pressure of the old way. The new way says it is all about receiving from him what he alone can do and him changing the desires of our hearts. If it's some arrangement, if you think the new way is some arrangement that you always get what you want, you will be disappointed. How do we make sense of when really good people that are seeking after the Lord that are doing nothing but serving and loving others still suffer, still go through loss? Even there, you can have peace and hope because the highest reward in the new way is simply the Lord himself, right? Not using him to get everything to work how we think it should work, but the pressure is off. Freedom is the order of the new way. Are you tracking with me? If you're living under all this pressure, you're stuck under the old way, you could even be naming Jesus and living completely under the old way. And number one in your notes, right out of the scripture, Jesus is full of grace and truth. This is the articulation of the new way. So truth for anybody, but especially for a follower of Jesus, truth is your friend. Can you just Maybe say that under your breath if you want to. Say, truth is my friend. It doesn't do you any good. It isn't helpful to anyone to present yourself as something that you are not. In other words, it's okay to be a mess. Can anybody be with me and just all confess together that we oftentimes feel like our life is a mess? Anybody with me? Yes, I mean, that reality. It's like good, truth is your friend. And truth is part of what's in Jesus. And we need that. It's part of what convicts us of sin. It shows us the law. It shows us where we fall short. But it also shows us that part of that truth is grace. So while all of that truth may be the reality, he pours out his grace fully upon us, which I love the definition of grace as the unmerited favor of God. See, we sometimes as Christians think, yes, I'm saved. This is great. But I've got to earn this favor. I've got to earn this blessing. Man, I, look, at all, look at those people. If I want to be like that, gosh, I better be such a good Christian. That's the old way. The new way is simply re realizing his perfect truth, his perfect grace poured out on you now, and he will teach you a whole different kind of satisfaction, a whole different kind of fulfillment that is not entirely dependent on the circumstances of life. John goes on to say, verse 16, well, it, actually, this is backtracking one verse, but I wanted to clarify. It makes sense of this verse. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Number two in your notes, in Jesus, you have grace upon grace. And I love what this reminds us of. Truth and, and how we understand the law through truth is not bad. That in itself is a grace. But then the grace of Jesus on top of that is a grace upon grace already given. And so we have this beautiful invitation from God as we preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We live in grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And it's all to the glory of God and given to us by God. And the way that it helps us make sense of how we relate in the world is it makes us ask this question, which is number three. Are you marked by the grace and truth of Jesus? 
The power of pointing people to Jesus can't happen until we meet Jesus and hang out with him enough to become like him. See, because Jesus is an actual person, the living God, not just something we read about on pages, but with us now. Someone that if we want to get to know him and if we want to become like him, what does it demand? Time with him. It's like any human relationship. I was just talking to someone in our first service about how they got to go be with an old friend that they haven't been with for 15 years and spend a little bit of time. And it was so life-giving to their soul. And we were just reflecting on how, wow, even the deepest friendships of our life, when we don't spend time together, if we don't make it a priority, what happens to the friendship? It fades. Doesn't mean you don't love them, but you don't know what's going on with them. You could be on totally different pages about so many things in life because relationship takes face-to-face time. And Jesus is the same. And he is saying that we should, result, we should be represented in the world with his grace and with his truth. Think about it this way. If we offer the world just truth, we become the people who are like, that's wrong, you better get that right. That's wrong, that's, that. that's sin. Hey, that's a problem, you better get that right. That's, you're just giving people truth, 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 truth. You become the police of the world. Anybody want that job? No, that's not even how God functions. Yet some Christians function like that. You don't have to be the truth teller to the entire world. You definitely don't have to lean into only truth. You, you should, it doesn't help anyone to just receive the law. You must also give them Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, who's full of grace and truth. The other side is also true. If you give people just grace, Apart from truth, that grace becomes cheap and meaningless. It becomes a lie that you pass on to others that leads to their destruction because it's not based in reality. Only parents that have no sense of parenting tell their kids, oh, just go ahead and play with the fire. Go ahead, have fun. Go crazy. I'm going to be at the store for three hours. And I'm talking little kids. That would be grace without truth, right? It's not gonna go well, at least their destruction. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, perfect in grace and truth. Isn't that good news? And it informs how we are to live in this world. And then he goes on to say, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the, only, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. And this again is a very clear declaration of the deity of Jesus which is really the theme of the whole book, which is why we're calling it Believe. Believe in Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 19, <clears throat> now this was John's testimony. Again, talking about John the Baptist. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, and I, I love this right here in verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So picture it, John the Baptist out in the wilderness, wearing crazy clothes, eating locusts, talking about this one who's coming after me, baptizing people. The religious leaders of the day get upset and go ask him who he is. And he declares publicly, no, 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 I am not the Messiah. And number four, John the Baptist confessed he was not God and pointed to Jesus. He is demonstrating what we are called to do. 
And you might struggle with relating to John the Baptist a little bit because most likely you've never been out in the wilderness baptizing people and eating locusts and yelling, prepare a way for the Lord. Anybody? If you have, we can talk after. Free counseling here at the church. But every time we as Christians say that we know what's best for our life and exactly how to handle it, and we take in our own hands the burdens of our life, you know what we're doing? We're playing God. And we are not following the example of John by the way we think and act. And we are saying, hey, maybe we are kind of the Messiah. Maybe it is kind of on me to save myself and maybe even save the world. Parents do this. Maybe it's kind of on me to save my kids and make sure everything's gonna be perfect. You know, you know what kind of life you're living if that's you? High pressure and constant failure. That is marked by the old way. And I wanna to submit to you in your notes number five, you must confess that you are not God and point to Jesus, even for yourself. What great news. This has a profound effect on how we approach everything in our life. I alluded to parenting because that's part of the season of my life. Apply it to whatever it is for you. But man, it's good news when I'm struggling with something with my kids and I finally remember to tell myself, oh, Nathan, what is your problem? You're not God. Just point your kids to Jesus. Just point them to Jesus. Point them to his word. Yeah, it is gonna be a mess. Can any parents of little kids be with me and give me, you know? Maybe your grandkids, maybe your siblings, all of life, all of relationships. This also applies to people you don't know that well, your coworkers. Guess what? You don't have to be God in their life. It applies to your spouse. You don't have to be God to your spouse. Pressure's off. Just point people to Jesus. It applies to your enemies. We tend to take this pressure on and say part of evangelizing the world is somehow making the world like Jesus before they even know Jesus. Nope. The world is not going to be like Jesus. All we do, point them to Jesus. Of course, there's going to be a big mess in the world of all kinds of problems and sin and destruction and evil. That is a fallen world, but we can point them to Jesus. And you know what it means for you as a Christian? Pressure is off. There's power in pointing people to Jesus. Reading on in verse 21, they, they pressed him and they asked, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? It's getting intense. And what these religious leaders are implying is that they are in charge and they did not give him permission to do this. They are threatened and they're putting themselves in the authority role. But John, I love his, John the Baptist in his settled identity. He's able to say in verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And I love that because it's like in the same breath, he's saying, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not God, but I know who I am and I still am bold in purpose. And this is how we are called to live. I'm not God, but I am a beloved son, I'm a beloved daughter. And he's called me to live with a bold purpose in the world as a part of his story. You tracking with me? But we can be settled in our identity. And we might, you might just need to say every, every day for a while, if you've been carrying this pressure, and just say, you are God and I am not. Therefore, I have hope. I am not God, you are God. Therefore, I have hope. I can trust you. God, give me a sense of a settled identity 
so that I can be bold in purpose apart from trying to be God and control and take that kind of ownership of my life. They still pressed him. The Pharisees who had been sent further questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He actually said the Messiah is here, but you aren't noticing him. We do that in life a lot. Surrounded by challenges, think we're abandoned. The Messiah is there, but we're not noticing him. And then I love how John the Baptist just takes the posture of a servant, the lowest of servants. He says, the one who's coming, trust me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then I love this culmination in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming in the person. Here he is. I'm not just talking about it anymore. And he said, look, he's literally pointing the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an incredible moment. He is saying, take all this attention off me. Look, the Lamb of God. And the most simple thing in your notes, but the greatest news, Jesus takes away our sin. Good news. Jesus takes away our loved one's sin. Do you know you cannot take the sin away from anyone you love by being the perfect version of who you are in relation to them? Only Jesus takes away their sin. That's really good news. Jesus takes away the sin of your neighbors. Jesus takes away the sin of your enemies. It affects how we see people. Of course we sin. That's why Jesus had to come. I know that you sin. You don't have to ever confess to me. You can if you want, but I know you're a sinner. Human nature, I know, I know too much. You know I'm a sinner. Jesus takes away our sin. It's all about Jesus. We point to him. We also shouldn't be surprised that our world keeps sinning. I know so many, I am counseling so many people on a regular basis right now that are being gripped with anxiety or fear or hatred or whatever it is because of the continued unfolding of what's happening in our culture. And I'm just like, wait a second. We know this is gonna happen. It's just sin. Jesus takes away our sin. Don't carry the burden of that. The pressure's not on you. Point people to Jesus. It brings so much clarity to what we are meant to do. And then verse 30 This is the one, as Jesus is coming there in the person, this is the one who I said, he's coming after me. He's greater than me. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven and remain on him. I didn't know who it was gonna be, but the one who sent me to baptize told me on the the man on whom the spirit comes down and remains, he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then John the Baptist says, I have seen and I testify that this is him, God's chosen one. He's referencing the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan when the Holy Spirit descends on him. And this is our final point for today. It just gets better and better. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. We receive his love. We receive his grace and truth in the middle of all of our mess. He takes away our sin. And then he says, I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for you is that you will chase after Jesus and ask for everything that he has for you. That's my heart. I want everything that he promises in his book for me. I want it. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want that for you. And we'll We'll talk more about what that is in in other messages, but this is incredibly good news for us today. I'm gonna close with a story as the worship team comes on up. Some of you guys know, because you've heard some of my testimony before, that I have a long line of pastors in my family. Though I wasn't gonna go into that field for all of my younger years, I was gonna go into visual arts, 
But then God grabbed a hold of my life as a uh, 17-year-old. But when I was a kid growing up, I, I would have said I was a Christian, but I didn't know Jesus. I hadn't been formally introduced to Jesus, even though everyone was trying to introduce me to Jesus. My parents knew that I didn't really know him yet. Uh, I had a youth pastor and some youth leaders that knew, this is in Virginia Beach where I grew up, that I didn't really know him yet. And they were giving me lots of grace to, to do what teenagers do, right? Just like a lot of us are doing for others right now. But then I had this dramatic encounter with God. It started with just the desire that he put in me, I believe, to seek after him and to become an honest seeker. God will meet you when you are an honest seeker. Then I met the person of Jesus. I met his truth. I met his grace. I realized I was broken for my sin at his feet. And I realized I was his beloved and he lifted my head of shame and everything changed. I was introduced for the person of, to the person of Jesus and I wept at the altar. I wept in my car. I wept in my room. And I'm still weeping to this day, 22 years later, whatever it is, because I met Jesus. And my whole life was about introducing people to Jesus. And I remember one of those youth leaders who sat with me after this happened, everyone knew my life had changed. My younger siblings got affected because my life changed so profoundly. It affected my parents. My life changed so profoundly. It affected all my friends. I essentially became a church planner right away at 17. All I could do was bring all my friends over to my parents' house and start this small group and just tell them, tell them about Jesus. And we had dozens and dozens of kids from my high school, my art school, just talking about Jesus. I just... That was it, I met Jesus and it was this profound change. No, no explanation except for Jesus. And I was sitting with one of those youth leaders that had been praying for me for years. And I wanna give you a side note about that youth leader. I'm not gonna use a name or anything, but the youth leader in some ways apparently wasn't doing the job they were hired to do at the church to their full potential. So right after this all happened, they got fired for something unrelated to the story I'm sharing. I don't even know all what was going on there. But that youth leader sat with me, tears in his eyes, tears in my eyes. And he said, this, this is what I've been praying for for all these years. I, I, I know that you met Jesus. And he said, this, this is who I've been pointing you to. And I don't remember any of the even really specific things that youth leader did, but they are one of the ones that God used in my story. And the reason I shared that they got fired is because they weren't even particularly good at it. That gives me a lot of hope. Part of the power of realizing all you need to do is point people to Jesus is the pressure is off you from being the perfect human being. You don't need to be the perfect mom or grandma. There is no such thing. You can just point them to Jesus. You don't need to be the perfect dad or grandpa or brother or son or sister. You don't need to be the perfect boss or employee. You will not be. And I'm just here to tell you, when you can get this understanding of receiving from Jesus and then just pointing people to Jesus, you are only walking in what has been given to you and you can let go of all that burden. You can let go of all that stuff that you just self-impose, right? Anybody with me and just need to feel that like every day? This is called preaching the gospel to yourself. You gotta preach this to yourself every day. I wanna make a quick switch on the song. Let's do um, All My Life You Have Been Faithful, whatever that's called. Your goodness is following me. Let's stand together, church. Let's close our eyes, bow our hearts, and we're just gonna respond together with this song that we sang earlier. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. What we wanna do 
is just make much of Him. Point to Jesus. You may just need to point to Jesus for yourself. Lord, forgive me for perhaps trying to save myself. Forgive me for trying to manipulate my life so much just so that it can work the way I want it to. Forgive me for basically saying, I'm God and you're not. We wanna flip that right now. And we just declare like John the Baptist, you are God, I am not. Just say it in your own heart. You are God, I am not. I receive your grace, I receive your truth. I wanna be a presence of grace and truth in this world, a true reflection of Jesus. Forgive me for being otherwise at times. If I don't know you yet, Lord, I, I, I pray you'll do what you talk about right here. Take away my sin, please. Forgive me for my sin. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me right now. Today, I pray, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I commit my life to you. Church, as we sing, just make your prayer. Lord, what are you saying to me? And what have you called me to do about it? Then we'll dismiss. But let's take some time in response. Church, can we just thank him? Let's clap our hands unto God. Let's just say thank you from our hearts. Lord, you are a great God, a great Savior. And we worship you with all our hearts in response to what you do in us through the power of your word. Jesus, thank you that you're real, you're alive, you're with us. Fill us with your fullness, your grace, your truth. Send us out today to be bearers of good news. Send us out today with fresh eyes to see our lives for the good news that exists within it. Send us out with fresh faith, fresh hope, fresh peace that we can be at rest because you are God and we are not and you are faithful. You will always be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll continue this series next week. Uh, thank you for being in our second service. Um, I'm, we're gradually, we've been trying to make room in this service so more and more can go to our first, which is starting to work. We have kids ministry in both services now. That's where we were really pinched on space. So it's a good problem to have making room for others, right? Um, meet someone around here that you don't know, say hi. And there's a Fall Fest connection with Bethany, Bible College, however, however you'd like to connect. Um, it's really good to have you guys here today. Honored to worship with you. I love doing the strip back worship sometimes. It reminds us it's not all about full band. It doesn't matter. It's just about Jesus making much of him. I'm going to pray a benediction over us before we're dismissed. It's out of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you. Have a great afternoon.